obviously we're in difficult times right now as a church, but, but I mean, really, it's been two years of difficulties. And it's not just COVID-19. It's the lockdowns. It's the isolation. It's the, the social upheaval, the political upheaval, the, uh, the, the frustrations that everyone has felt, the anger that is in so many people, the loss, the bad decisions people have made, which has led to other consequences, right? We're in a really hard time, and we've been in a hard time. And a good result of that is we often go to God in prayer. And we ask him, God, help us. Help, help with the, the political anger that we have. Help heal me. Help, uh, help heal my friend. Help heal my father. Help heal my grandmother. Right? We, we have all these prayer requests, and we go to him, and we go to him, and we go to him. And that's a good thing. It's good to take all of our concerns to God. The concern that I have, and one of the observations I've made within my own self, is after two years of asking, 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 we kind of start treating God like a grocery store. You know, like when you go to the grocery store and uh, you go in and you're like, hey, I want these items. You get the items, you pay for them, and, and you're done. And if they don't have what you're looking for, you get frustrated and angry, right? Um, and then you leave. And that's fine because that's a grocery store. I mean, treat the individuals in there with respect, obviously. But the grocery store itself, it's just a grocery store. You get in, you get what you want, and you get out. Or they don't have what you want, and you get frustrated, and then you leave. Um, Here's the thing, though. How many of us go into the grocery store actively loving the grocery store, right? How many, how many of us are over here going like, man, I love this grocery store. How can I love, not the people, the grocery store itself. How can I love this grocery store? We don't do that because that's weird. You don't love things. You love people. Don't love anything that can't love you back kind of thing, right? And so with, uh, with us, as we are going through COVID-19, as we're going through all this stuff, and we're asking God for all of these things, we start, I think, treating God like a grocery store at times. We start treating God like, hey, I'm going to go in, I'm going to ask him for these things, and if he gives them, great, and if not, ah, I'm going to be frustrated with God. And we forget something, that we need to also love God. Right? It's strange for a grocery store to go in there and say, man, I love this grocery store. Right? I, you know, I, I get it, but it's strange to, 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 to love a building, but it's not strange to love God. But it is a little weird to love God, isn't it? Because He's God, right? I can't like, hold Him like I can my kids. I can't give Him a hug and wrap my arms around Him. So how do you love God? In the midst of all of the, the requests that we have, which is good, and we continue to make those requests, but in the midst of all those requests, how do we love God? So we go to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Uh, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments over this week and next week. And if you recall, the, uh, the greatest commandment that Jesus and uh, his contemporaries said, the greatest commandment of all was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the first part of the Ten Commandments, we see him talking about how do you love God? Second part is we see how do you love your fellow man? So let's answer that question. How can you love God? I mean, really, I mean, he's, he's God. You can't hug him. Not right now. Maybe when Jesus returns. Well, definitely when Jesus returns, you can put your arms around him, but, but not right now. So if you recall the scene, Moses had led Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, and here they are, and... and 
they're ready to experience God's beauty, and he terrifies them with earthquakes and, and tornadoes and lightning storms and fire. And they're, wow, God is holy. He is totally different than us. All right, that's the setting. Then God comes down, and the language is a little weird. I think that God spoke to all of Israel from the cloud on the mountain, so everyone can hear his voice as he's saying the words for the next two weeks. It says, then God spoke all these words. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. All right, so he immediately identifies himself. I, I am your God. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the one who brought you out of slavery to Egypt. I brought you to this place. What he's doing here, before we get into the commandments, is he's defining the relationship. Uh, have you heard that term before? I don't know if that's a, a familiar term up here, but I know uh, for myself growing up in New York, DTR, define the relationship, was a serious thing. Uh, usually middle schoolers have a hard time finding out how to define the relationship, uh, and they're, they're working on that. This is why a lot of people don't like working with middle schoolers, because they don't fully understand what's the difference between a friend and a teacher and what's the difference between a teacher and a parent? And how do I relate to all these people? What kind of words can I use with my friends? How can I joke with the teacher? What's inappropriate? Like they're learning all of these boundaries. How do you define the relationship? Uh, and, and we do that as adults. You know, what, what kind of uh, boss is this? Can I joke with him or her? Am I able to uh, uh, mess around a little bit? Can I pull a prank? Can I not pull a prank? Do I just have to hold my breath? Do they want my input? Do they not want my input? Defining the relationship. In fact, I remember years ago, it was December 7th, 2003. Uh, I was shoveling my parents' driveway after a snowstorm. School, uh, church was canceled. And while I was shoveling, I thought, hey, that girl, Kristen, from Campus Crusade for Christ, I want, you know, I think I could have a future with her. So I would like my wife now. I said, Let, you know, I'm going to invite her out. I'm not going to church because they canceled church. So in a snowstorm, I invite her out to go out on a date. So we went out on a date, and it was wonderful. And then we spent the next, like, three nights going out on dates. It was fantastic, right? And I made my intentions very clear that I'm a serious person, and I don't date, like, flippantly. Uh, and uh, I thought I'd made my intentions clear. But then on December 10th, 2003, a few days later, <laughs> she got up in my face. She's like, all right, you need a DTR. What's that? Define this relationship. What are we in this for? What's going on? I'm like, well, I'm dating you seriously to see if you're a potential person that I'd want to marry, I guess. <laughs> Define the relationship. And so that's the start of a relationship, right? And all the things we've got monogrammed, it's December 10th, not December 7th. That, that we because we define that relationship. This is what our relationship's going to be. I'm interested in you. I want to maybe marry you. I don't know. We don't know each other that well. Let's get to know each other well and see if we're uh, romantically compatible, right? Kind of, um, you know, our, our values match up, our Christianity matches up, and uh, let's, let's see if we can make this work. Um, that's what God's doing here. And it's an important part of a lot of relationships is to define that relationship, whether romantic or, or your boss or a teacher or your kids, right? Like you can't let your kids get away with talking to you the way they, they talk to their friends. That's it's a different relationship. God's defining the relationship here. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I am your deliverer. This is our relationship. Okay. And, and he's saying this is how we can have a positive love relationship. That's why he defines it. What I'm about to tell you, if you want to have a good relationship with me, this is how you're going to do it. Okay, so how can you love God? How can you have a positive love relationship with God? How can you love this God? How can you love the Lord? Verse 3, 
he says, do not have other gods besides me. That's the first command. Um, Don't have any other gods beside me. You shall have no other gods before me, is what the King James Version says. So, what's weird with, uh, with that is uh, God doesn't immediately, he doesn't say, hey, I am the only God, so you should only worship me. So like some, some of our uh, non-believing friends will jump on that and say, ha, he's just saying he's one God among many. Eh, that's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying to Israel, he's like, look, I am your God and you are going, I am your God, you're going to worship me. And we understand through the rest of scripture that there is only one triune God who exists. Right? That's it. However, God in this text doesn't say there are no other powers other than me. There are other powers. They're much lesser powers. Some of them are supernatural. Some of them are demons pretending to be false gods. Uh, Some of them are humans. And uh, in their time and age, warlords and pharaohs and chiefs and kings who have an incredible amount of power. And God is saying, I'm the greatest power. You will run across so many powers in this world. I am the greatest power. You will have no other gods before me. You will acknowledge no other power above me because I am that great power. Uh, A couple things. What we understand from this in our modern age, first of all, he's saying, look, you you can't have multiple beliefs, right? So some of our uh, Hindi friends they will, uh, if you go into their temples, they have a statue to Jesus because people told them about Jesus and they put a statue. They're like, wow, your God's cool too. Let's add him to our thousands and thousands of gods. Right? And like, well, no, no. Jesus saying no, absolutely not. God is saying no. Uh, it, it doesn't work like that. You will acknowledge him and only him as God. Um, so we can't say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I believe in everything. I believe that... Uh, all roads lead to God, that all the religions are basically the same. They are absolutely not. The only person who can actually say all religions are basically the same are people who've never actually looked at different religions. They're not the same. That's, that's why they don't work together. That's why they're different. And Christianity alone says that you can't save yourself through works. You can only save yourself by submitting yourself to God and having Him save you. By trusting that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. That's the only way you can be saved. It's not by works. It's by trusting in Jesus, by faith. Um, So he says, no other gods before me. But, you know, the reality is uh, we often acknowledge powers above God in our life, don't we? I know I do. It's easy. It's easy because, you know, God, sometimes I don't see him exactly around me. So I'm miserable and I'm looking for comfort. We can turn anything into a God. Right? How many young people have turned a relationship, a romantic relationship, into a God? This is the most important thing in my life. It, this relationship, it will fulfill me. It will change me. It will make my life better. It will improve everything. Right? How many young people do that? I, I've been guilty of that at points. How many young couples think that they try to make their, their spouse or their boyfriend or their girlfriend God to them? They're like, man, you're not fulfilling all my needs. Well, they're not God. They can't. They can't. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse absolutely cannot be God. They can't fulfill all of your needs. And yet we do that. We put them up there. God says you will have no other God before me. Don't acknowledge other powers. We try and think, man, if I just had the right video games, if I watched the right TV shows, if my sports team would win, if I could go on this trip, um, 
if I had these finances, if I had this amount of money, if I pursue that money, then my life will be better. We try to replace God with these things. The number one, and you guys have heard me over and over again say this, I think the God of America, little g God of America, is the political system. It's incredible. It's like our God gets elected for four years at a time. Maybe eight if they're good, right? (laughs) Or I shouldn't say good, but like they're good at politicking. Like It's incredible how much energy, emotional energy, and finances, and times, and relationships we will break apart for the minute most pathetic amount of power that only lasts four years, eight at best. And yet we say, oh, I'm going to, oh, this is, this is it. We're going to lose the country if my person isn't elected. That might be true, but man, you know what we're doing? We're saying the most that the Lord Jesus Christ can't operate if the wrong person's in office, that Jesus isn't sovereign, that God isn't in control. And what have we done? We've made a false God. We've acknowledged the political power above God. And it's not true. It's one nation under God. How can we love God? Well, one way is make sure He's the most important thing in your life. And again, it's not like for some of us, yes, it is that whole let's not have other gods, let's not follow uh, multiple religions or believe that all religions believe uh, or lead to God because they don't. For some of us, it's that. But I think for most of us, it's to say, God is the most important thing in my life, and I am not going to try and find my ultimate fulfillment in all of these other things that drag me away from Him. That's one way. What's another way? Verse 4, God said, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I am Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Okay, so he says, don't make an idol for yourself. And he's saying two things here to Israel, to ancient Israel. One is he is saying, look, all of the other nations around, they have these idols, these statues that represent their God. And by the way, in this culture, they believe that that statue represented the physical manifestation of their gods. Okay, so it wasn't just a statue. Like, we'll see statues all over and we're like, wow, it's Ulysses S. Grant, right? Like, it's just a statue. They actually believed that their God was up in the heavens and by building this thing, it imbued with power and their God was physically present in that, that, that symbol, that icon, that, that idol. And God is saying to them on one hand, He's saying, you are not to worship those other gods, those other nations. Don't worship them. But also He's saying something else. He's saying, and you are not to worship Me as those other nations worship their gods, their false gods, their idols. So don't build an idol to Yahweh and bow down and worship it. He doesn't want that. I am God. I am totally different. I am holy. These are your false powers in the world that other people look at, but I am God and I will not be worshipped the same way that they are worshipped. Don't treat me like one of many. I'm God. Going on with that first commandment, I mean, the human heart can turn anything into an idol. Whether it's sin, we certainly can turn any sin into an idol, but we can turn good things into an idol. You know, a relationship, a friendship, a job, a position. 
I think what God is uh, doing here, it's kind of like, you've probably experienced this yourself as a kid, uh, but you've probably observed it in other kids too. It's like when grandma and grandpa come and they get a present for the kids, right? And the kids love the present. There are times where the kids love the present more than grandma and grandpa. Have you ever observed that before? I know I have. I've observed it in my own heart. <laughs> like, thanks mom and dad for that, whatever. Oh, this is cool, I love this, right? You love the gift more than the gift giver and that is totally wrong. I've observed that over in, in far too many people where the little kids, they're like, oh cool, wow, thanks grandma and grandpa, I love this, I mean you. <laughs> but that's what we do. Little children do it all the time and we have to correct them and say, no, you have to love your relationship with your grandma and grandpa more than the gift that they gave them. But we do that as adults with God, where we worship the gifts He's given us. Having finances is a good thing in this world. God has blessed many of us with finances to be able to, to, to live and survive and live in a home. Maybe not the home you want, maybe not, not as high as you want, but those are good gifts. But it's really easy to start worshiping the gift rather than the gift giver. Your relationships are good, but it's so easy to elevate that relationship above the gift giver. In fact, you see that all... I, should I share this? I don't know. I'll share it anyways. I've seen as a pastor um, in ministry over the course of years, um, typically uh, sometimes what happens is there's a single person and they are a Christian and this person starts dating. Oh no, we're fine. Everything's good. It's, it's all right. But... Um, I still love the Lord and everything. Well, then why aren't you coming and worshiping with your brothers and sisters? I know what's happened. Because it can happen in my heart too. Is You take the relationship and here's God and you're like, ah, but this one's more fun. And I can hug this person. <laughs> How can we love God? Well, one way is to not make idols. To not put anything of importance above God. There's another way though. Verse 7, he says, Do not misuse the name of Yahweh your God because the Lord will not remember, will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. This is huge. I mean, look at that. It, it, I will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses my name. That's pretty rough. What's he mean, though? I mean, I know for me, and I know the, the popular belief is, is that misusing the name of God is like saying, oh my gosh, that air conditioning is so cold, right? And, and like, and that we're, or like you stub your toe, oh my gosh, right? And, and that's, that's what we're not supposed to do. Now, I don't think it's good to use the name of God, personal or otherwise, as as an expletive or as an exclamation or as a curse word. I don't think that's a good thing to do, so I'm not saying that we should do that, but that's not really what the thrust of this text is. The thrust of this text is saying two things. One is don't claim to speak for God on matters He hasn't spoken. And two, don't do evil in the name of God. And He says, I will not let anyone go unpunished who do those things. So on the one hand, I mean, you have these, these incredibly uh, abusive things that happen within Christianity 
where people will misuse the name of God. They'll, they'll say things like, hey, you know, you guys have to tithe to this church. You've got to give all this money to this church. You've got to give all this money to this church because that's what God is calling you to do right now. And if you don't give to this church, then God's never going to bless you in your life again. Wow. God's never said that. But the pastor, the preacher, the Christian is trying to manipulate you into doing something. Which, by the way, as you know, I'll say, hey, look, what you give is between you and God. God says, I, want, I love a cheerful giver in the New Testament. He says to give regularly, give sacrificially to your local church. Right? And the rest is between you and God. Keep your crabby money. If you can't give joyfully, I, I don't want it, neither does God. Um, I think that's what we see in the New Testament. Not this, this manipulative changing you know i'm going to use the word of god but but see like we see that from pastors and preachers and spiritual leaders and they will manipulate people and they'll claim god said things that he never said but but on the the personal level oh my goodness i've seen parents i had this um this one uh friend of mine when i was in uh, like high school and the mom like she would just totally violate this all the time and she would try to manipulate her kids into doing things or not doing things or not hanging out with certain friends or uh, not going to a youth group event. A youth group event, right? Not like a wild party, a youth group event. And she would just make up Bible verses and, and try and like manipulate her kids against God. I mean, the, I, I've lost track of them, but I can't even imagine that any of those kids want anything to do with God because she was trying to use God to get what she wants. Don't say what God has never said. And if you need to say something that you think is godly, say, eh, I don't know what God said about this, but here's my opinion, right? Secondly, don't do evil in the name of God. I mean, you look at the sex abuse scandal that's hit the Catholic Church and now the evangelical church, that is taking the name of God in vain. That is doing evil in the name of God. That is misusing the name of God. Where someone is saying, hey, I'm going to show you how to have eternal life. I'm going to show you how to have a positive relationship with God. I'm going to show you how to be transformed in your life through God the Holy Spirit. And meanwhile, that person, they heard the gospel message come from the lips of a wolf who wanted to consume and eat them. And they say, look how, how wide his, his ministry was. Look at how good he was. Yeah, labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must remember the Sabbath day. He doesn't just say, like, he's not saying, like, remember it, like, while you're working on the Sabbath, go, yeah, I remember this is that day. No, remembrance in the Bible always requires action. When God remembered Israel in Egypt, he took action. Remembrance is action. So he's always going to take action. And he says, remember the Sabbath. You need to observe it, Israel. Remembering doesn't just mean, oh yeah, today's Saturday, okay. He says you need to observe it. And how do you observe it? He says, take a break, take a rest. And what's cool is he says, like God who created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. So you are going to be like God. God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. Why did he do it? There's plenty of understanding for that, but the creative understanding of what God did, he absolutely created the earth then he rested on that seventh day he stopped and god is saying to israel i want you and he's saying to believers today i want you to be like me spend six days out of your week being creative and whatever job you have you're you're raising children you are creative you're you're uh, you're building roofs you are creative you're uh, working in finances you're being creative 
You're, you're helping in the medical field. You are creative. Uh, you work, work hard, create, build, make life better for others in whatever job you have, in whatever role or function you have. It's not just for financial gain. And on the seventh day, he said to Israel, take a Sabbath, be like me, rest. And the resting isn't just, I'm going to take a nap. He's saying it, it is a reminder that you are to know that you are wholly set apart from other people, but also that God is God and you are not. And to ref- it gives you a chance to say, wow, I'm going to reflect on God. It's incredible. He's saying on that seventh day, Israel, you need to remember to take on my attributes versus all the attributes of all the junk in the world that you've pulled in. Now, some of you are saying like, wait a minute, we don't, uh, we don't have a Sabbath. We don't, take, we, don't, we don't observe the Lord's Day on Saturday. Why is that? Well, because in the New Testament, um, all of the Ten Commandments were reiterated by Jesus except for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus pointed out, look, the Sabbath was created to serve us, not us to serve the Sabbath. Uh, and they built up all of these rules over the seventh day. And Christians, rightly, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, began worshiping together and gathering on Sunday because that is when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so because Jesus didn't say, you absolutely have to do it on Saturday, and because Jesus was resurrected from the the dead on Sunday, now Christians have shifted for 2,000 years to worship on Sunday. But that's still our Sabbath. Right? We don't have a whole ton of rules about what you can do and what you can't do, but, but basically it's we gather, whether in person or online, in order to take a rest. And here's the thing. I was having a conversation with one of our church planners, and, and he was saying that, man, in the area it was really hard to get people to take a break, like to go to church, because they're like, I, I can't do one more thing, I can't do one more thing. And then it hit me. Church isn't one more thing. Church is actually one last thing. I mean, I get it. I have little kids, right? Coming to church is like, ah, it's spiritual warfare every Sunday, right? Like, I haven't done it yet, but there's been times I'm like, I need to do an exorcism <laughs> to get the kids out of the car into church. But, but, but there's something about being here. There's something that changes it. There's something that hits the reset button. Even for me, and it's crazy, those weeks I don't have church, like I, I, I tell you guys this all the time, I'm a terrible pastor, you know that. Um, I'm a terrible Christian. On the weeks that I'm not working here, I don't go to church. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, usually. I mean, sometimes there's like, you know, if we're with family, like we're going to church. All right, we're going to church, right? But often I'm like, yep, I've had enough church for a minute. I'm going to take a break. And you know what's crazy? And there's been times here where I'm like, oh, you know, Sunday after Christmas, I'm not going to church, right? And I take a break. And you know what's crazy? Is it's like in my brain, not going to church affords me like a thousand extra hours of my life. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, oh, I'm going to skip church. I don't have time for it. And you know what happens? It's over like that. I look at the clock and I'm like, church is over already. What have I done? I've made myself a ham sandwich. And that was, <laughs> that's what I've accomplished with not going to church. It's incredible. When I miss church, church, like that time is nothing. But here, probably because of the boring sermons, <laughs> it feels like I'm here for all of eternity. No, but when you're here, I don't know, God does something. It's rest. I know I've told this story before, but years ago when we were at our other location, there was this woman and she was coming and she was coming and she said to me after one of the service, she said, Pastor, I want you to know, I sleep during every single one of your sermons. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, gee, thanks. 
yeah. <laughs> and she said, thank you. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> okay, what, like, please explain. I don't understand. She says, I, I'm in, I have insomnia. I don't sleep. I never sleep. I might doze off for 30 seconds at a time, nothing more. I go to doctor after doctor. I can't, but when I'm here in church, I feel this incredible peace that overcomes me, and I can finally get rest. I don't complain about people sleeping during church anymore. <laughs> it still hurts a little bit, but yeah, no. But, but really, I'm like, wow, what a blessing. I, who would have thought someone could ever say to a pastor, hey, thanks for letting me sleep during your sermon. I, I never would have thought that was such a positive thing, but it was such a positive thing. When we come to church, it is not one more thing. It is one less thing. The burdens that we are carrying, the Lord Jesus Christ carries off our shoulders. So in a nutshell, what's God saying here? How can we love God? We can love God by obeying His commands. We can love God by obeying His commands. What God is doing here is He's setting up healthy boundaries. right? Every relationship has healthy boundaries. And now you could say, well, wait a minute, most of the Ten Commandments, eight of the Ten Commandments are all negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And most of them you could do positively. God could say, hey, worship only me, right? Uh, he could say, um, there are no, well, I don't know how you could do the positive on the idols. But every, almost every one of them, instead of like, do not murder, he could say, choose life. Right? You could, he could say everything positively, but I think the reason that he, he did eight of the ten of the Ten Commandments negatively is because that reflects our fallen human nature. But not only that, but it reflects the reality of what humans do when we set up boundaries in relationship. Every good relationship is going to have boundaries. Kids need to have boundaries in their relationships. You can't talk to your parents the way that you talk to your friends. You absolutely can't. You can't tell poop jokes when you're at the table for crying out loud and we're eating food. That looks like poop. You're not allowed to do it, right? You have to set up those healthy boundaries. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who makes sets uh, rules for bedtime and what you can eat and how many snacks you can have and how many cookies you can have. It's healthy boundaries. And oftentimes the answer is no. I have to say, no, you can't play in the middle of the road because you will get hurt or die, right? Me saying, no, get out of the road. That's not a negative thing. Even though I said it negatively, I'm actually preserving their life. I have to set up boundaries so that they can have, so we can have a good relationship. If those boundaries aren't there, and we've all seen parents that don't have boundaries, and it's horrifying to see. And you're just like, ah, you're embarrassed for them. You're embarrassed for the kids. Like the kids aren't happy about not having boundaries. They need it. So, okay, but maybe not just parents, but, but marriage. Marriage has to have healthy boundaries. You know, when the pastor gets up and he, he reads all of the vows, those all have boundaries. And the, truthfully, I've thought about this this week, long and hard. Most of those boundaries are all positive. You know, are you going to be with them richer and poor, sickness and health till death do you part, right? That's actually a positive way of putting it. But maybe in the pre-marriage counseling, maybe we need to start setting up some negative boundaries too and saying, look, you're not going to physically abuse each other. And you're not only going to not physically abuse each other, you're not going to verbally abuse each other by name calling and cursing and swearing at each other when you're having problems. And uh, not only that, but um, you are uh, not going to waste each other's finances and you're going to have conversations about how you're spending money so that doesn't become an issue. 
when you're having those conversations. Right? Because if you have a marriage where a spouse is physically abusive or verbally abusive or emotionally abusive or financially abusive, you know, like totally ruins uh, their, their finances because they're spending money uh, that they're not talking about, that's going to ruin the marriage, right? We've all known marriages that have had problems like that. That's going to ruin the marriage. So you have to define what the relationship is. You have to set those healthy boundaries. That's what God's doing here. In John 14, 15, Jesus reiterated this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now these first four commands, I mean, they are big ballpark commands. Later on in the, the Torah and later on in the New Testament, we have more specifics about what those commands are and what it means to, to, to be in a good relationship with God. But these are the big ones. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You'll keep my commandments. That's how we love God. That's how we follow after Him. That's how we care for Him, no matter what. Maintain those healthy boundaries and, uh, and follow after Him. So, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to know how to love the Lord, follow Him. Obey His commands. Start with these four. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit, hey, uh, what idols do I have in my life that needs to be torn down? He'll reveal them to you. How can I observe the Sunday worship more worshipfully? He'll, reserve, he'll show you. Um, next week we will talk about how we can love others. And by that, we love God as well. But, but this week, we're just talking about how do we love God. You can love the Lord by obeying His commands. God is not a grocery store. Show them your love. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, continue our worship service, I pray that you will change us from the inside out. I pray that you'll help us to love you more clearly by obeying your commands. Father, it's hard because there are times where we don't see you, we don't experience you, we don't feel you, and yet you are there, you love us, you care for us, you provide for us. Help us to not be like little children who worship the gift above the gift giver. Every good and perfect gift that you've given us from our finances to our homes, to our families, to our children, to our relationships, those are from you and help us to acknowledge that you've given all of those things to us. I pray that you help us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ more clearly each day. And Father, once again, we lift up to our brothers and sisters who are sick and imperiled. Be with them and help us to uh, minister to them well during this difficult time. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.